Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, it'll be preaching, but it'll be uh, kind of a study of chapter three of Joshua. A little background, of course, to for maybe to remind us of what's happened here in Joshua 3. Of course, they're ready to go into the promised land. Joshua has taken over for Moses. And you know, that must have been a scary time for him. You, you just imagine trying to step into the shoes of someone as significant as Moses had been. So that ought to be kind of scary. And the, and the fact that he is the one who's been selected to lead this nation into the promised land. Now, God has promised and said, I'll give the land to you. But remember, they've got to fight for it. And the, these folks have just come out of slavery. They're not fighters. They're not warriors. And so how is Joshua going to take that land uh, with these, uh, all these slaves have been slaves, but God said, if you'll do what I say, I'll give you the land. And I'll exalt you, Joshua, just as I exalted Moses, because the people needed a leader that they could have confidence in. And so tonight, we're going to talk about being led to victory. God always wants us to have a victory, and he will provide the way if we will follow what he wishes for us to do. He wants us to be victorious, and I know some of you have faced challenges this past year. Some of you probably have lost loved ones. Some of you probably were not able to go to the assembly because they were shut down for a while. Sometimes churches even now are struggling to get back to what they had. I don't know if we'll ever get back to what we used to call normal, but we're going to have to adjust to whatever it is. And I know that some of you have struggled with health issues, with financial issues. Some of you have struggled with relationship issues. Some of you have struggled with spiritual struggles of temptations and sin in our lives. I think the principles laid down in Joshua 3 can help us to be led to victory, no matter what the challenge is and no matter what problems we face. No doubt, when you stop and think about it, Joshua, as he stopped and looked at this idea, probably wondered can we really conquer all these nations? You see, in Joshua 3 and verse 10, he names the tribes that have to be conquered there. He said, uh, Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Seven tribes that control that land that we now know as Israel. This is the promised land that had been made to Abraham basically 600 years earlier. And now then, 
it's time for him to lead those folks into battle. As a first, I want us to see several principles involved here. First off, we're going to see that uh, God is going to exalt Joshua as the commander in chief and that the people are going to have to accept him and through God's influence and power working through Joshua, they will come to respect him just as they came to respect Moses. As I mentioned uh, a few moments ago, no doubt it was a scary thought even for Joshua to think I've got to take over where Moses had led. Moses had led these people for 40 years and here is Joshua, and he's worked closely with Moses. He has been his aide, and Moses, in a sense, has tried to help him become that leader. But still, you just imagine how he felt stepping into the shoes of Moses. So what we're going to see here is not so much conquering the land as entering the land. But as they enter this land, they're beginning to conquer the land. And God is going to lead them in victory across this flooded Jordan River. Let's notice verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all his sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. Getting ready to go into that land. Verse 2, at the end of three days, the officers went throughout the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levit Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. There is the first principle we're going to look at. The Ark of the Covenant, of course, was that special box that normally stayed in the most holy place. And in that box, of course, were the two-table stone, the golden pot of manna that uh, was filled with the manna of some of which they ate during the wilderness wandering. And it also con contained Aaron's rod that budded, that gave proof to the people that Aaron and his family were to be the priesthood. This box was special. It was the top of that box was called the mercy seat because it was in that mercy seat and in that area that uh, on the day of atonement, the priest would take blood in there and sprinkle it around to make atonement for the people. It was in that room called the most holy place and it was where, and as it were, symbolized God himself. And in that room, as it were, the, God, the light came down, the fire that was, had led the people. And so now then, as they get ready to go into the promised land, that box, that Ark of the Covenant, which it was to be carried and is on this occasion carried by the priest on their shoulders, is to lead the people. Whatever challenge we face, whatever problem comes into our life, 
God has to lead us. We need to be able to recognize that we are not able to lead ourselves. Jeremiah said, it's not in man that walks to direct his own steps. Man cannot do it. We must have God's guidance and direction. Solomon said in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not upon thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Well, our path may be a spiritual path. Our path may be a mental challenge. Our path may be uh, dealing with some physical ailments. But the idea is God must lead us if, because he wants to lead us to victory. And we cannot obtain that victory without God. And so as they get ready to go into the promised land to begin that fight, to earn and to deserve and to uh, manifest faith in God, they've got to cross that Jordan River and enter into that promised land. And so the Ark of the Covenant was that symbol to remind the people God is leading this battle. It was not Joshua by himself. It wasn't Joshua's idea. God said, I want you to know I am going before you. We need to always let God lead us in our decisions. We can pray, as James 1.5 tells us, to pray for wisdom. We need to pray in faith, believing that God will answer our prayers. These folks, the first manifestation of their obedience to God is, Joshua said, when you see that Ark of the Covenant beginning to move, you fall in line. Notice what else he said here in this verse. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levite, the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. But notice what he said in verse 4. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. First off, we notice they were to keep a respectable distance from that Ark of the Covenant. You see, that was a holy box, a holy piece of furniture. You remember that they were not, no one was supposed to touch it. The priests were supposed to carry it on poles on their shoulders. They were not to touch it. Sadly, you remember the man Uzzah, when David was carrying this Ark of the Covenant in the wrong way on a cart, and the ox stumbled, and it looked like this Ark was going to fall into the mud. Uzzah put his hand up to stop it and was struck dead. We must respect God. We must not run ahead of God. We must follow God. We must follow God with a respectable distance. And I mean by that, treating him as holy, righteous, pure, 
we must honor his character. We must be able to be recognize that about him. And so he said, I want you to follow 2,000 cubits. That would be about 3,000 feet, uh, maybe three-fifths of a mile or something like that. It is also interesting to notice what he said as to why they needed to keep that distance. He said that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Keeping a proper respect and distance from God in terms of respecting him and his word, we learn which direction to go. You know, notice that last phrase, for you have not passed this way before. They've been in the uh, wilderness 40 years. They probably felt like they knew every rock and bush, every hill and every valley. They probably felt like they could be blindfolded and make their way through the wilderness. But they're fixing to go into a different land. He said, you've not passed this way before. And therefore, you need to let God lead, keep a respectful attitude and distance from God, that you do not desecrate him, but that you can see what he wants you to do. Don't run ahead of God. Sometimes they had to wait for God. You and I need to wait for God sometimes. Sometimes that's difficult for us. We've been in this difficult situation here in our country, in our congregations, uh, in our homes, and we want answers. We want them right now. But you remember what Isaiah later on would say, though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They'll walk and not become weary. And so Joshua says, I want you to keep the respectful distance and let that Ark of the Covenant, God himself, as it were, lead this way because you don't know where you're going. You've never been in that country. You have not passed this way before. Oh, how true that is with us. We've not dealt with the pandemic like we faced recently. We've not had this uh, quarantine idea and the lockdown and the shutdown. These are all new paths for us. And the only way we can handle that and have handled that is by letting God lead and us maintaining a respectful distance and honor given to him that we may truly trust him in all that he says and does. We have wanted this thing to end. We have wanted God to act right now. But sometimes we have to learn to wait. God doesn't rarely or doesn't almost never operates on my time schedule. He operates on his. Now he's got the better and he knows 
when to do it and when not to do it. And you and I just simply need to struggle to be, to wait patiently with regard to that. Notice no, verse number five, a very outstanding uh, point that you and I must have if God is going to lead us to victory. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. God wanted uh, these people to consecrate themselves, dedicate themselves. God is holy. God cannot, we cannot expect a holy God to help an unholy people. You and I need to consecrate ourselves. We need to make ourselves as holy as possible that we can live as close to God as possible. Peter, later on in the New Testament, laid down this great principle when he, he said in 1 Peter 1, verse, let's begin in verse 14, as obedient children do not conform to the former lust which, yours, uh, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in, in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Joshua said, you people, consecrate yourselves. We need to consecrate ourselves. When we face a great challenge, whether it is a personal temptation, whether it is a physical ailment we're dealing with, whether it's a financial crisis in our budget, whether it is a situation in the church, we must consecrate ourselves. We might do that by spending more time in prayer. We might do that by searching the scriptures and reading and for guidance and wisdom, but we must consecrate ourselves so that we can be the people God wants us to be. For that holy God cannot lead an unholy people. We must make ourselves as holy as possible. I'm not saying that we're gonna be perfect. That's an impossibility. But as, as John said in 1 John 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. We can maintain that purity and holiness by maintaining walking in the light. That is the light of God's word. Psalm 119, 105 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my pathway. Jesus is the light of the world. And if we want to consecrate ourselves, we must make ourselves holy, make ourselves as holy as we can in our behavior in all aspects of life. We need to make ourselves holy by maintaining our ability to walk the best we can in living as God would have us to live according to scripture. 
And so as they got ready to go into the promised land, God said, make sure God is leading you. Maintain a respectful distance from God. Do not, do not profane his name. Do not belittle him. Do not bring him down to the earthly uh, manner that people do. Let's maintain a respectful distance and attitude toward God. And let's consecrate ourselves so that God can lead us. Joshua goes on now in verse 5 and says, And Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord had said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. God, Joshua wanted these priests to lead the people. And as the priests would lead the people, and we're going to see how they led them in a minute, it would cause people to recognize that God was leading them and that they, were, uh, that they could trust their leader, Joshua. You and I must depend upon our leaders particularly in a church situation. Let's have leaders who are going to look to God. We need leaders who are out there in front of us and that we can grow to trust in them. It might be even in our own lives. As we stop and think about other challenges that God has led us through, that we begin to have faith in this challenge and that we can conquer this problem that we face. And that God will see us through this, just like he saw us through the last one. Or we might remember some people that we know who struggle with situations, but God led them through it. And so therefore, we can have faith that God will also lead us through it. In verse 8, Joshua said, You shall moreover... Command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now we're going to see something about that in a few minutes. But basically he says here, Now you who lead, you're going to have to go into the Jordan and stand right in the middle of that river. They probably wondered how that was going to happen. Now, look back down, look down at verse 13, and we're going to learn something about that river. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who are carrying the ark of the Lord, uh, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. He said, here's what's going to happen. When, you when your feet touch that water, God will act. They had to have faith to step into that river. Now, the significant thing about that at this time is this found in verse 15. 
And when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. Now here, let's think about what is happening. At the time they're crossing the Jordan River is flood stage. If you've kept up with the news in the last few weeks, Nashville and parts of other parts of Tennessee, some of the countries in Europe have had tremendous damage by the floodwaters of those rivers getting out of their banks. How would you like to walk right into the middle of that river? It can sweep you away. Well, I don't know that the Jordan River was on a rage as big as some that we've seen in Tennessee and Europe. But any floodwaters can be dangerous. What is God calling upon his people to do? Have faith. Step out and face your challenge. Walk right into that flood water. And when you do, the waters will stop flowing and the waters will go on down the river and there'll be a wall of water right there. Now, you know, humanly speaking, we say, I've never seen that happen. I don't know if I believe that's going to happen. Uh, that just seems impossible. But you know, these people, even though they were the younger generation of Israel that came out of Egypt, some of them were old enough to remember what God had done with the Red Sea. And so as they remembered back to that past event, that should have given them faith in this event. I don't know that I want to step in that river and it's flooding. But their faith in God said, I will do it. I want us to think about that principle in whatever challenge we face. We have to face that challenge. They had to step right into that river and trust that God was going to do what he said he'd do. Whatever challenge you face, whether it's a grave temptation, whether it's a financial burden, whether it's a ravage of disease in your body, whether, whether even if it's a, a relationship problem that you have in the family or in the church, we must trust God and we must step right in and face that challenge. You never conquer a challenge by sweeping it under the rug. You never conquer a challenge by ignoring it. It's going to get worse. And so God, Joshua tells these priests, okay, you've got to walk right into that river. I know it's flooding, and I know that you could be swept away, but you have to manifest, manifest faith in God. God expects his people to trust him in all things. There's an old saying that says, never doubt in darkness what you've learned in the light. We have come to trust God 
And when dark times come, let's don't doubt what God has said and what we've learned in the light. Never doubt in darkness what we've learned in light. These folks had had light shone upon them through the wilderness wanderings, through the various miracles that had been done in their lives, through the passing through of the Red Sea. They had reason to believe. You and I have reason to believe. First off, Paul said in Romans 15, 4, the things that are written before time are written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort the scriptures might have hope. We've got these Old Testament stories there for a purpose, to give us faith, to enable us to trust that God will deliver us. He can lead us in victory. But we have to manifest that faith. We have to pray for that wisdom. We have to search those scriptures for answers. And then we simply have to say, God, I believe and step into the facing of that challenge. We cannot, God cannot and will not lead us through that challenge until we're willing to face it. It might be an addiction you have, alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, materialism, wealth, money, whatever it is that is that challenge you're facing, you must face it if God is going to lead you to victory. And so we need to do as these priests did. And then in verse nine, and Joshua said to the sons of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. That's great advice for us. Come near, come here, hear the words of God. Sometimes when troubles come into our life, that's when we fail to assemble with the brethren. Sometimes when we get so depressed and dealing with the difficulty, we fail to go to God in prayer. We fail to read his word for comfort and strength that it can give. And so he says, I want you to come here and I want you to hear and listen to the word of God. We're going to come back to verse 12 in a minute, but let's look again at verse 13. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. He said, this is what's going to happen. Do you believe it? We may not know how God can work in our lives. We may not be able to see any answer to our problems, but God knows. And if we'll do what they did, we'll have the victory. God will lead us in the victory. Now remember what it is. We have to let God lead. We have to be respectful of God and show him the honor and reverence that he deserves. We have to believe in the word that he's given us. We have to seek his wisdom. We have to consecrate our lives, and we have to face our challenge, whatever it is. 
And then verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priest carried the Ark, uh, the, the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those which were flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off so that people crossed opposite Jericho. So what we see is they did it. They believed God, and they faced their challenge and they were able to cross the Jordan. Now we're not through with that thought. We got another thought we're gonna come back to and talk about. When you and I face the challenge, we have faith in God, we concentrate ourselves, God will lead us in victory just as he did them. Then let's look at verse 17, which is really uh, an amazing verse. And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation finished crossing the Jordan. Did you catch that language? Where did the priest stand? On firm, dry ground. You would think in the middle of that riverbed, where the river Jordan has flown for years, the dirt would be muddy. Not so. They were able to stand on a firm, dry ground. God's miracle dried up the water, let the water flow down, and the mud wasn't even there. It was firm, and they therefore could stand firm on dry ground. That's what we want. And we can believe that God will give us that dry, firm ground. He will not give us a shaky ground to stand on. He'll not give us anything whereby we're mired into our, up to our knees. God will lead us where there's firm ground. What a great message that is. I want us to look at one more point in this chapter, and then we may, if we have time, I may go to a New Testament example that I think it parallels this. Notice what happened here uh, as um, they're crossing the, the Jordan. Uh, now, verse, look at verse 12. Now then, Take for yourselves 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who are carrying the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest on the waters of Jordan. The waters of the river will be cut, Jordan will be cut off, and the waters shall flow, are flowing down from above, will stand in one heap. Notice what he wanted them to do. I want 12 men, one from each tribe. 
to go into the middle of that, uh, that area and pick up a stone. Now in the 12th chapter, we're going to see, excuse me, in the fourth chapter, we're going to see what these men did with those stones. Let me read a few verses beginning in chapter four. Now, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them saying, take up for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feasts are standing firm, and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. Okay, as they're getting ready, as God has led them through this raging Jordan River, they now come to the point where Joshua, now then I want you to go back, pick one man from each tribe, and I want you to go back there and each man pick up a stone and bring it to the uh, bank, and I want you to set that stone up here. So now then, beginning in chapter 4, verse 4, so Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed for the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stone mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan and the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Now you can imagine the situation as they've been led in victory across this Jordan. Joshua said, now I want one man from each tribe and I want you to go out there in the middle of the uh, river. Take one stone that you have to put on your shoulder, so it must have been a good-sized rock. Bring it over to the bring it over to the bank, and we're going to stack these rocks up as a memorial. Notice what the purpose was for this idea. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. That's verse 7. Thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. And uh, notice what I want us to see. It was for their children. As the gen next generation and the generations follow would come alive and they saw these stones there, they'd say, Daddy, what are those stones there? What does that mean? And they would tell their children, this is what happened right here. God delivered us from our drowning. God led us into this land, in the land of victory. That's going to instill faith in their children. When you face your challenge, you then can use it as a memorial to strengthen your children, 
so that as your children remember the hardship you went through or you have opportunity to tell them of the difficulties and how that God delivered you out of that difficulty and he led you in victory, you can build faith in your children just as these children were having their faith built by the stones and the memorial that was there. What a great story that is. It's interesting also when you look in Joshua fourth chapter, then Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing and they are there to this day. Not only did Joshua have the stones set up on the bank where the children could walk by and see them, but that it also point right out there in the middle and say right out there is where our priests stood on firm, dry ground while we were led to victory through the Jordan. That gives you an opportunity to build faith in your children. The hardships we go through can enable us to go through harder difficulties later. The hardships we go through and how we handle those hardships can be a powerful message to the folks around us, for our family. As our young children see us deal with difficult situations and maintain that faith in God and maintain faithfulness in our actions and lives, it creates faith in them to do the same thing. And so God will lead us in victory. And we can use that victory to conquer the next challenge. I've got just a little bit of time. I'd like to go now to, I think, a parallel idea found in the New Testament. If you want to turn with me, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians, the second chapter. And I think we see the same kind of message in verses 14 through 17 of 2 Corinthians 2. Paul says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. You see there we have the same message. Joshua 3 and 4, we are led in victory. And Paul said, we'll do the same thing today. Notice again what he said, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Today, we have the same promise that Joshua and God gave the children of Israel in Joshua's day. And not only that, but he said, and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? He answers that question, who is adequate, in chapter 3 and verse 5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. There's the answer. I don't care what challenge we face. 
I don't care what hardship we go through. Who is adequate? We may not be, but God is. For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. I want to close out by pointing out two things in this passage that enable us to be led in triumph by God. This is a picture of the Roman general coming in and bringing the people that he's conquered. And they would do this and people would line the streets and this general would pro uh, proceed through that parade, bringing the people that he had conquered and the goods that he had conquered. And he marches them down the street as fact that they've been conquered. But notice, we have been conquered. For we, but thanks be to God who always leads us, we are the conquered people. And unless we become slaves of God, we cannot be led in triumph. And if we're led, but if we are a slave, if we're led, willing to be led by God, he will lead us in triumph through Christ, and he will manifest through us sweet aromas. In those days when the Roman would bring his conquered foes through there, they would burn incense in the streets. They'd have beautiful smelling, good smelling flowers, and it'd be a great incense smell. That's what we are if we meet, if we're willing to challenge our challenge, if we're willing to conquer and let God lead us. We can be a sweet aroma to the knowledge of him in every place. To those who are willing to be saved, we're a sweet smelling savor. To those who don't care anything about sweet smelling savor in God, then we're a smell of death. Those conquered people would be put to death right there in the street. But there'd be a lot of sweet smelling savor about the victory that had been won. So for God to lead us in triumph, we must be his slaves and be led in that triumphal entry. The second thing that we must do is found in verse 17. We must not peddle the word of God. Peddling the words of God means we compromise it. We sell it. We don't follow it strictly. When we face hardships, it's a temptation to compromise the word of God. When we're facing a difficult situation, it's easy to ignore the Bible. It's easy to try to get around the Bible. But Paul said we can be led in triumph. God will lead us in triumph if we will be his slave and if we will follow that word, if we will not compromise and peddle the word of God. So as we close, God will lead us in victory. Let's go back and think about the great victory and the principles we learned in Joshua 3 and 4. And then let's turn to this passage here in the New Testament and learn the same lesson that says, God, be thank, uh, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ if we'll be his slave if we will not peddle the word of God. My last statement is, 
I know that we're going through hard times as a nation, as a church, and as individual people. Whatever challenge faces you, let's let God lead. Let's concentrate ourselves. Let's have faith in God, and he will deliver us because God will lead us in triumph uh, in all of our challenges. Thank you for listening so well. Uh, pray that you'll take this lesson to heart and let's put it into practice. Thank you. I look forward to being back with you again sometime in the future.